Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. I'm not in love, so don't forget it. It's just a silly face I'm going through. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We're delighted today to have Ian Hornell with us, who, as you well know, is the lead singer of the touring 10cc. He's also a vocalist and instrumentalist with Jefflin's ELO. Ian also played bass uh, with Yes, or at least the latest incarnation of, of Yes, uh, when he depped on bass and vocals. We're looking forward to speaking to him about those and uh, his um, solo albums, which we've been listening to and very much enjoying. So welcome to the podcast, Ian. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Yes, thanks for having me. Tell us about um, the, the recent Tory, and I bet it's been fun getting back uh, in the saddle, hasn't it? So much fun, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, lovely to hang out with the boys again, and um, yeah, we've just been in very good spirits. Um, I think uh, the band's playing really well, and um, we're just having a lot of fun. Um, it's a very happy camp. Yes. And I bet it's a good, Rick very Fenn good, is absolutely good over the moon, isn't he? To to make oh, make yeah. it at last. That's right, yeah, yeah. We, he missed the European tour in autumn, and that and that that was the first tour he'd ever missed since he'd been in the band. So I think he was quite devastated about that. Actually, he was really gutted they couldn't join us. Sure, we were lucky enough to talk to Rick. What about six months ago, Paul? Was it? Oh, it's no, it was more than that. It was over a, over a year ago. Oh, I've got my COVID clock on. Yeah, I have yeah. to mul- multiply everything by two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. he was. Uh, he, yeah, he was feeling a little bit kind of landlocked really and uh so missing uh playing with you guys that's right yeah um yeah and we missed we miss him when he's not there because he's such a big part of the dynamic of the band uh on and off stage you know so it's yeah it was good to have him back sure Um, sure. and we and we love nick kendall who who plays with us when he's not there as well he's fantastic fantastic player um but you know rick has a certain thing and it's a wondrous thing that he does so (laughs) <laughs> F- fabulous how did because um, i've not seen um really any of the, any of the the new sort of audience videos or anything and i've not really talked to paul in much detail about about the 10 cc gig that he went to how does the set compare in terms of of track listing set list how does it compare with your previous tours there's a a, a new song that graham put in um which is uh uh, from Modesty Forbids, um, standing next to me, which yeah, is uh, the Ringo uh, one about his Ringo yeah. tour tours, and um, uh, that was a lot of fun to play. Uh, nice to have something completely fresh to to play. Really nice, and um, we also put uh, open with Second Sitting, uh, which was actually when, when I first uh, depped for the band, uh, which was if you can believe it, twenty thirteen. Um, uh, that was that was the opening song at the time. So right. it was like going back to my first gigs. But that, that that was a lot of fun to come out and blast the audience with that one. Really good fun. It's really and fun it, it's really fun to play, isn't it, that one? We're uh, It is. And it's nice to mix up the top of the show as well. Yeah. Um, and and then the other the other things that we don't you know always play would be some of those sheet music tunes that have kind of stayed in the set since since the boys 
you know took on the sheet music project a few years ago yes, yes, um, yes. so you know baron samadhi and um the wonderful somewhere in hollywood with the with the video oh. um, and still Kevin in shoot. fine voice oh, well, still. We'll still put old, old Wild Men. Kevin sounds amazing on it, yeah. Um, and um, Clockwork Creep. So we've still got you know things that that we've kind of that, that seem to seem to work from the sheet music tour um, that they did. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I love playing the the deep cuts. Um, I, part, partly because I'm a fan and a bit of a nerd anyway. Down on the casting couch A star is gonna be born A star with the stature of a Harlow Before we start talking about your own career, um, tell us where your adventure with 10cc began. Was it like us listening to the radio or, or your, 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 your cassette recorder in, in your bedroom as a teenager? Where do, where do you start the story? I can tell you exactly where it began. Um, <laughs> because uh, my sister is two years older than me and had uh, a seven inch of I'm not in love now this was years and years later this must have been 10 years later so I don't know if it was re-released or something or if she'd found it secondhand somewhere um, but I remember hearing I'm not in love on, on her little dance set style record player with the built-in speaker you know Mm. And just thinking, wow, you know, that's an amazing sound. Um, and I, I would have been, I was a child at the time, you know, so very young. Um, but yeah, I was born in 1980. So I was, um, in terms of the, the the hit making years, you know, I wasn't around. But I, I um, all, all the music that I love is, well, not all, but a lot of it <laughs> um, happened before I was born, or at least was written and recorded before I was born. <laughs> yes. I think um, that can be t- that can be gleaned from uh, listening to your own right. material. So, so yeah. you agree with the Homer Simpson school of thought, then, Ian, that rock music reached its peak in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it had already reached its peak, maybe yeah. in 1974. <laughs> but um, it, no, it's <laughs> yeah, mate, yeah, it's all it's all glorious. But um, that so that's the first time I would have heard Ten CC, um, and then cut to. I guess when I was in my mid late teens, I started discovering a lot of bands um, from, like I say, from from before my era, really, um, mm. because I was discovering music for myself, and um, I didn't connect that much with a lot of what was happening in the charts. Although some of the Britpop stuff was was really great. Yes. Um, but um, I. I I found myself going back and sort of trying to find all these treasures <laughs> and 10 CC would have been one of those, you know, yes. I, th- uh, I think originally I found a, an LP in a charity shop. Um, and then, and then, and then maybe I splashed out on a CD at some point of the greatest hits, you know, so I, it was yeah. definitely the singles that, that I got into first. Sure, and uh, and they were a great singles band, of course, and we play every single hit, every single gig. <laughs> Rightly so. And then, yeah. did you did that encourage you then to sort of dig a little bit deeper and, and get into things like how dare you and sheet music, etc. Yes, but not until that would be another chapter. So you know, mid twenties. Then I think okay, it it, it it would would have been me going f- further beyond 
that stuff and and discovering those um particularly the 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 first um the first you know four four albums with with the four piece and then deceptive bends as well which i think is a great record too yes um that's my favorite period of the band that'll i'm not chime, on my that, own that'll with chime that. with most of our listeners yeah. i think it's to be honest i'm not on, on my own with that summation i know but um yeah no it's it's still yeah it's all wonderful stuff but like i said i was i was just excited about getting into lots of different bands um that had not the same ethos as 10cc because it's 10cc is quite an extreme um but a similar ethos of of just following your muse and and also just being really musical because that's what i love i love the the exploratory nature of their songs um and the journeys that they take you on and um, yes yes and it was it's the same with with a lot of that 70s music that was uh, i know allowed to exist at that point it was a real time where people were allowed to be not just experimental but but intensely musical with what they were putting out no rules were there right and there's people that, that did it very commercially mm. as ncc did and yes. then there were people that were much more album orientated about it but there's still a, sim- a similar kind of aesthetic there which i really you know connect with Sure. Which, which other bands uh, kind of stick out in your mind, Ian, that, that have that kind of freedom of musicality? Well, I mean, you mentioned Yes briefly mm. um, <laughs> in your introduction, and uh, they're a, 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 another great love of mine, um, in a, yeah, in a much more progressive um, kind of setting. Yes. Um, though they didn't believe in boundaries either, did they? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I had the great fortune of, of being able to play some of that music with, with some some of my other heroes, so that was fantastic. But um, yeah. I guess, I mean, I'm into a lot of bands from that era, but yeah, Steely Dan would be another very, very big one for me. Um, I was a big Queen fan growing up. And then I, I guess I started going further back and I got into... Well, it was actually when Anthology... Funnily enough, I kind of missed out on the Beatles because my parents didn't have any Beatles records. <laughs> um, and I'd heard the things that you hear because they uh, are just in the world and they're <laughs> part of the furniture. But uh, I hadn't re- realised how just ridiculously brilliant they were until <laughs> uh, Anthology series came on in 95. Yes. And that was my eye-opener and ear-opener. She Tell us how you and Graham came into each other's spheres. Yeah. Did you did you contact 10CC or did Graham come knocking on the door? Uh, neither. I, I met Graham at a festival in the French Alps called the Little World Festival, which ah. my friends in The Feeling um, actually organised. Um, they put this festival on and I think they did it at least twice um, and this was the first year. And Graham was one of the people that I knew was was going to be on the bill. Um, and I was there with my band. We were trying to make things happen. That band went went nowhere in the end. But um, This was Genius. Was it the band Genius or another one? No, this was another band called Young Squires. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, we, we played what I think was our final gig... <laughs> Uh, of uh, at least of original material 
it was on a ski slope so they, they'd set up a stage at the bottom of a, a ski slope and um outside le rond point in Mirabel. and uh I, so I, i'm there with my band and we're all falling apart that we've, we've had a massive argument <laughs> and the keyboard player threatens that he's not even going to do the gig. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, very, very fortunately for me, um, our guitarist, Ben Ferrari, um, you know, had a word with him and say, can, can you at least, you know, do this last gig so that we can, you know, go out on a bit of a high or whatever. Um, mm, so... Mm. Uh, so we did a, so we played our, our last gig and um, Graham happened to see it uh, but also I I you know I wanted to talk to Graham because I knew he'd be around so I I you know made a bit of a beeline for him and um, and just said uh, I really wanted to say hello because I'm a massive 10 CC fan and but was interested in lots of other aspects of his career as well so we just had a really good chat that day um oh. and uh, we got on as people you know so uh yeah. what happened was i'd um i'd said well would you mind if i send you a demo of some of my songs um and he very graciously said yeah okay um <laughs> just to get some feedback from you know uh somebody who'd been so successful in the industry and and would understand the music as well because we mm-hmm. come from quite a simpatico place musically, and um, yeah, so so uh, I I sent him a demo, and and he very kindly g- gave me a call, and we were talking about the music, and um, and he he even had a word with his son who was uh, at Island Records, um, yes, in A and R there, um, who is now head of Island Records. So Louis's done really well for himself, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, the feedback from Louis was that I was too old, <laughs> and that was a long time ago now. So, <laughs> what? But um, what what was interesting was Graham said, "Is that you playing and singing on the demos?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, it's me." Um, okay, um, you know, might you be interested to dep for our singer if we ever needed um, somebody mm. to fill in? Uh, and it was a real kind of if it ever happened kind of situation. So there was no guarantees. And I said, yeah, you know, I bit his hand off. I said, absolutely. Um, And I actually didn't hear from him for, I think, two years. Uh, So I kind of thought it might be dead. Um, (laughs) And that maybe that someone else was in the frame or whatever. Um, And then, yeah, eventually he got back to me and said, "Um, right, we need you. And at the time, I was working on a Beatles show in London called Let It Be with Paul Canning, who I think yes, yes, you yes. discussed that with him yeah. uh, on the episode, which I, I really enjoyed listening to um, recently. And mm. um, so I, I'm, I'm on this show. Actually, it was before Paul was involved. We were at the Savoy and um, I, I had a full time gig there. And I thought, oh, no. So how am I going to get out of this for a few days to... <laughs> To, to go and do a couple of gigs with 10cc I managed to get enough time off to do it but um, I was on a full-time contract so you know I'm using holidays and whatever and then yes. one of the other uh, McCartneys because there were a, f- a few of us um, <laughs> I, I had to beg him to come back early from his brother's wedding in Italy it's either his brother or his cousin is in order to um that i could go off and do this thing so that he could cover for the shows i was meant to play and um 
thankfully he took me up on it i paid i paid his flight the charge for changing the flight <laughs> and uh and that led to me being able to do the gigs you know so it was a uh, yeah I'd, i was very determined once i'd been offered that i i needed to make the opportunity happen and because like like i said i always loved the band and i'd actually seen them um just a, as a fan um the night they filmed the clever clogs dvd at shepherd's bush oh right yes yes Yeah. Oh, what a thrill! So, so I saw the band that day, and um, I was I was blown away by how good they were as a live representation of what 10CC was all about. Mm. Um, you know, I went in there thinking, well, we'll see, because that's how most people go into a gig like that when you don't when you know that it's not all not everybody's going to be there. How's it going to be? Will it, you know, even if everybody is there, what's the quality of musicianship going to be like? These are all things that are up for grabs if you've never seen a, a band live, particularly if, if you're seeing them, you know, 40 years down the line or whatever. Yeah. And, and I was blown away. You know, I thought they were so good and they brought out all of the like musicality and the fun in the music. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, that would be a great gig. You know, if if, uh, you know, I'd love to do his job, you know. <laughs> so weirdly, it happened in the end. Um, oh, fantastic! So there was your audition was actually the, the the recordings that Graham listened to. I mean, do you, uh, he'd already chosen you as as a as suitable before you actually you didn't have a, an audition with the band that you just started rehearsing, did you? We had yeah, we didn't have an audition, but we he uh, he had he'd heard the demos and he asked me to learn some of the stuff. And then we kind of did some, uh, we had some, uh, knee slap rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, no PA setup or anything, just, um, myself and Graham and Mick Wilson did at least one together. And then maybe we did a group, a group thing. And we certain, and, and I had, think I probably had more sessions with Graham, on my own as well um yeah just in people's houses and studios and you know and then sure. eventually we did do half a day in a in a rehearsal studio because i had to get my head around all the gear and um and the very complicated setup that uh, mick wilson had um kind of you know brought into the band uh, mick is a great singer great talent and um yeah, and and when I'd seen them at Shepherd's Bush, I'd been really impressed with with his contribution. Um, but he also had created quite a a, a large role uh, in that band, and so it, it seemed like you know uh, it was quite galling to to think about all the things you yeah. had to remember to do. Paul was talking about uh, he, one minute he was Eric Stewart yeah. on the electric, electric piano, then he'd be yeah. then he'd be Kevin Godley on percussion. Was it the same for you? Were you literally like an octopus? Yes. And in the early shows, it's pretty scary because you're just always thinking, what's next? What, <laughs> what, which of my limbs needs to be where? Yes, exactly. Um, you're, stand, you're standing there with a maraca and realise that you should be on the grand piano. Oh, the and that happened all the time in, in my <laughs> first show. So that, and you had like comedy sound effects because we've got this 
octopad or something. I can't remember. Yes, yes. I don't know well, you, why I'm not remembering what it's called. Yes. Uh, you need Paul Canning for all these memories because my my brain is shot and he seems to, <laughs> he's in, incredibly lucid with his um, memories. And uh, yeah, uh, so this thing, uh, it you had to know where every sound was on, on this machine and which patch you were meant to be on and and uh, so the first few shows were filled with sort of comedy interjections from <laughs> <laughs> from whatever would come out of the jail You'll like this Ian I hope you can make it out. Can you see any of those labels? Uh, oh yeah, Mandy, 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 Mini, Siren. Yeah. <laughs> Ring any bells? Yeah. Is that a, what's the mini? Um, what's the mini? Mini, 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 strony. What do you need the sound for? To um, segue into another tune. Oh, okay. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to give away too many secrets. Okay. But we've done a kind of silly, a silly medley. And that oh, nice. helps the medley kind of lock together. Nice, nice. But it's been really fun, you know, basically re-recording the, the, the sound effects from scratch and having yeah. some fun twisting history um, right. with some, in, some in-jokes. So Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a lot of fun. So you guys uh, have got a 10cc tribute band? Uh, well, uh, well yes. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's a one-off or two-off project. We've committed to these... Uh, 50th anniversary concerts we thought well if we don't do it this year we never will two yeah. concerts in, in stockport yeah brilliant. um and uh yeah we're, we're looking forward to it it's it's a huge mountain to climb um <laughs> because you know if, if you're doing we're doing a lot of songs anyway but you're really doing two or three times that number because all the songs have so many parts and they turn on a dime as you know and it's uh, yeah the brain gets completely just filled up with stuff to remember, but you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I'm, uh, I'm I'm playing bass for it. Paul's uh, Paul's going to have a bit of a, a kind of Ian Hornell role in the band, doing <laughs> right. lo- lots and lots of different things. But every rehearsal, I'm, I'm I'm looking at my fingers and thinking, Goldman's got a fantastic little run here. Yeah. And I, is it the one that goes from F sharp up to B, or is it the one that goes from F sharp to D, or is it the one that goes down from B? And I'm thinking, and my head is absolutely fucked, because they're so beautiful, and so they have to be perfect, don't they? Yeah. Those little runs, they have to be perfect. I but, know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it's a real challenge, but no bigger challenge, Ian, than, than we're going to kick off the gig with a uh, consequences sweet. Oh, right. <laughs> D- does that mean does that mean anything to you? Yeah, although I've only listened to it once. Um okay. But I I um enjoyed uh, elements of it I, I did <laughs> yes. it's, it's it's good fun it's definitely something that I need to give another spin but uh, yeah that's very brave of you indeed it is but and we're having th- uh, we hope three gizmos on live on stage at the same Great. time which will be a first what's um what's been your most enjoyable musical challenge performing with 10cc hmm um I guess those early days were very enjoyable but also quite <laughs> daunting um <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd say that paul canning was quite lucky because when he came in to depth for me um he got to do a tour um so he w- was able to bed bed it in 
Um, yes. And uh, whereas I was kind of depping every now and again, every few months, I'd do one or, or two shows. And that mm. was much, that I think would, was hard, harder because you're never quite feeling like you're completely on top of it. You're always, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and, and, it, and it took for, for me to, when I finally did um, take over from Mick to kind of uh, relax, I guess. That was the only point mm. really at which I relaxed. But I'd had so much fun anyway. It was just, yeah. I think my f- performances became a lot more confident because I was a lot more relaxed, you know. What's it like singing I'm Not In Love? Because you're there, you're the messenger for something quite yeah. important to a lot of people. Yeah. I just wondered what whether that feels different to singing the other songs in some way. It does. Um, and again, I'd say particularly in the earliest gigs, it felt... Uh, well, I suppose back then it was more like, let's just get the lyrics right, you know. I don't want to mm. mess this up because people know it really well, you know. And it's, yes. Whereas now, um, I think when I'm singing I'm Not In Love, I'm really just trying to sing it as well as I can which sounds um, <laughs> obvious <laughs> but by that I don't mean I, I mean I, I almost under sing it because Eric sings it so um, sort of beautifully plainly um, mm-hmm. and um, what I think you don't want to do with that song is is show off in any way mm. I think it's you know serve the music so I'm trying I, I, I try and you know sing it with heart um, but also not uh, not overdo it in terms of delivery, you know. I, w- I want it to uh, connect with people, and it does. It's, it connects with us as we play it, you know. I'll talk to Graham about it after the show, and he'll say, "Yep, I went somewhere during that." You know, he he still, um, as you know, has so much love for the, the music, and and can happily get lost in that song on a nightly basis. Um, you know, if we really commit to it, then it's a glorious thing. And yeah. and the great thing about this band is that we always do commit. Yes, absolutely. Everybody is, is, plays is that, with everything they've got. Sure. Is that is, I'm not in love? Is that your favourite to sing during the gig? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, although it's a special moment, um, I f- I feel like maybe that what I enjoy a lot about that is that that you feel quite a strong connection with the audience at that point. Yes, I think. Favorite song to sing? Uh, Feel the benefit. Mm. Yeah, I just love doing that. I love the journey it takes you on. I love uh, the fact that there's a little more scope. Uh, there's a sense of drama about that song, which I really enjoy. Yeah, very, very much um, so. And 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 uh, it's it's also just a very fulfilling piece of music to play. I mean, I'm doing quite a lot in it, but I, like I say, when I first started doing the gigs, that was quite daunting. But now it's now I know, OK, I've got to have the guitar on my back when I start the song and I'm playing piano. And then I swing the <laughs> guitar around while I'm singing a backing vocal and and start oh, the, the holiday section. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Uh, and then it's a timbali break and then it's, uh, you know, back to guitar and then guitar can come off at that point and then I'm back on the piano so that you've got the geography of it but, but the but once you get that under your skin you're used to it um, it's 
um, it's a real joyous thing to play, and mm-hmm. um, and I also uh, think the sentiment of it is fantastic and something that in a very the very woke age in which we live um, yeah. it actually has a slight different um, call to arms um, in the final in the final you know verse which. I think is a really important message that we still need to still need to hear about the fact that you know if we could all connect on some deeper level rather than have more and more divisions uh, yeah then then maybe we'd all feel the benefit beautifully said it's a yeah it's a unique song in the canon as well isn't it it's very it puts its message out there uh in a way that few of the others do really and yes. it's uh yeah and it, again it's a lovely i mean the, i'm thinking of the original it's a beautiful i'm thinking of sections one and three not too so much it's a beautiful lead vocal by eric but again it's it's not oversung, is it it's just, it's quite straightforward eric it's never just, never does oversing he doesn't um, does he you're right yeah um, it's, he's a very classy uh, vocalist. Um, yes. And that's something which, over the last few years of my life, um, has, uh, I've really come to sort of look at in terms of how I put songs across, particularly when it's other people's material, because you, you just want to um, keep the ego at the door and, and just give, give it the most um, honest musical... Uh, a expression a sincere, that you can a sincere connection yeah. i guess with your audience yeah yeah and so that's what i'm going for and actually a friend of a friend who came to see the show said that to me and i hadn't prompted him i hadn't said this is what i'm going for he said what i like about you is this and that's exactly what i was going for and i was like oh that's fantastic oh. you know that if you could I, I'm, it's it's really nice that you, that you said this in because I was, I was going to mention it to you uh, in, in our conversation. The, um, my impression of, of your performance arc as a solo performer, um, you're kind enough to send that genius track, which I thought was really, really good, but some great harmonies, but quite a sort of ballsy, kind of rocky, almost a, a, a John Bon Jovi energy in the vocal, uh, very pushed. And yet on your on your last solo album... You seem to have gone for a much kind of closer, more intimate, gentler uh, delivery. Yeah, and, and is that generally the way it's your arc is going? Um, I I think that there's a time for pushing it and there's a time for uh, for sitting back, and I'm a fan of all of it. So yeah. um, it's contextual, really. But I I I, I would say that I've. Uh, I sing, I, I force it less than I used to. <laughs> and yeah. um, I think I maybe had more to prove when I was younger, you know, and, the, uh, yeah. and that comes across in in some of those vocals. But, um, I mean, I haven't listened to that genius stuff for a, quite a long time, but I, I, but I think they're still um, strong performances. It's just they're in quite a different style, aren't they? Um Yes, yes, very much so. And, I, very and, much and so. we, you know, we were, it was a big, a big old loud rock band. So that was kind of, <laughs> that worked for that. Yeah, you, yeah. Had, you had to stand yeah. on the prow and make yourself heard, I suppose, didn't you? Yeah. If, you if, if you're the singer in that kind of band, you, you, you've got to project in a, in a way that you might not have to if you're yeah. 
on your own, I suppose. And in fact, Feel the Benefit is really one of the only places <laughs> where I do give it a bit of, uh, I guess, yeah, maybe silly love as well. Uh, yeah. where, where I give it a little bit more um, throat, uh, a bit more grit, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And um, uh, there's, it's nice to have those moments in the set. But I, I love it when they're just moments and not required of you for two hours of screaming. You know? <laughs> like, let it be. The Beatles show was great fun to do. Uh, obviously, the music's fantastic, um, as good as it gets. But um, you're scream, you're screaming those vocals, aren't singing you? Singing so Paul McCartney for two hours, it's exhausting. And if you're not singing the lead, you're singing a really prominent, really high backing vocal. <laughs> yeah and and wow. it was like uh our, our md at the time was very much no you can't use falsetto you know you have to full voice oh, right exhausting. Wow. Uh, ouch wow obviously at some point the throat caves in and then you start finding cheats and ways around things because you have to but yeah. um really i i have no idea how people like paul mccartney do it i think they just have a, a technique that can see them through years and years of of being able to s sing that kind of crazy rock stuff um hmm. but you know you listen to um, thankfully we never played it but you listen to um maybe i'm amazed no no like it's an <laughs> it's an early um cover uh, uh long tall sally long tall sally yeah had to be didn't it that's his i mean it's just <laughs> it, that would be utterly well i could i don't know if it's physically possible for me to hit those notes but that would be exhausting <laughs> <laughs> and actually, at one point, the MD was threatening to put that in the show. I was like, please, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, don't let's, do that to me. let's segue, if we can, into your solo stuff, Ian. Sure. Because, uh, like to talk about it. Um, your album One Way Conversation is out of print or out of, well, it's, it's not on digital streaming services, And but you yeah. were kind enough to send us a, a really superb track from that. Oh, yeah. Uh, the name of which suddenly escapes me. I think it's... Uh, Everybody Needs a Helping Hand. Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah. Which I de detected um, vocal... Um, echoes of Roy Wood, actually. I don't know whether you were going for that, but it's just, but that aside, it's just a fabulous, I agree. fabulous song. And yeah. it, are we going to hear the rest of that album again sometime soon? Well, I don't know about soon, but I have a plan to uh, resurrect it in one form or another. Mm. Um, so it's a very vague plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's also not the next thing on my list to do in terms of my own stuff um but i i would like to to put out some kind of reissue um with possible possibly some new reworkings um of some of those songs or all of those songs i haven't decided yet um uh but yeah it's that was an album that i made when i was in uh i went to king's college london i studied philosophy and when while i was there um I I had this uh, sixteen-track digital Roland thing, and I, I I recorded that entire album on my own in various student bedrooms. Um, mm -hmm. And I and yeah, I had a, a friend of mine, Ben Ferrari, uh, mix it, uh, and uh, we 
and but I'd played I'd I'd written uh, and produced and played the whole thing. So it was it was a it was a it's a kind of harebrained project. I'm definitely singing more in the, that that um, full on style that you mm-hmm. um, talked about with Genius because that's where I was at the time and uh, I guess that's probably where you're hearing Roy Wood because um, he's got quite a delivery, hasn't he? Uh, and he's, he's also got that uh, vibrato, which might there might be a thing there that's a similar, yeah. Um, and I checked out the album that you mentioned that it reminded you of. Um, yeah, right. And there was a track on it um, that, that I could totally hear what you meant. Um, I've forgotten <laughs> what it's called now. Um, I, I've met Roy, but we can get onto that later if you like. The ship's about to sink. It's time to get off. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely, because we've not really even touched on, on your time with sure. ELO. Oh, we'll yeah. go there later for sure, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so that album was was what I was doing as a kind of, in in my spare time at, at university. Um, and then uh, I, I really put it out because I just wanted to, and there was no, I, ha- I didn't have any PR of any sort, you know. <laughs> And yeah. it, and there, were, in terms of social media, I guess it was MySpace days, so it was all very limited. Um, <laughs> uh, it was pre Facebook, um, and um, but what we did do is we used some of those songs to form the basis of what we would play as the Genius live set and and what we would go on to re-record in Genius. So there is there there's a version of that song, for example, that Genius also recorded. Ah. Um, and uh, yeah, so G- Genius was a band that that I, I set up with a very good friend, Owen Roberts, um, and uh, we had um, uh, like we were in existence for a couple of years. It wasn't that long. Um, we were trying to get things going. We had we had a management label, and um, they were sort of like a management come record label. It was a bit conflicts of interestsy, but. Um, we were, but we never, yeah, just never went anywhere. We went to LA to record an album, and it never got mixed. The mixing engineer disappeared off the face of the earth because I think he hadn't been paid, and oh my or at least hadn't been paid enough. Um, and I, yeah, it all went a bit wrong. But um, so I kind of called the end of that band. Um, but we did. Um, we certainly worked on some good music together. Um, mm. We we just haven't got a final, a lovely kind of representation of it um we haven't got an album that that's, that we can play people and say oh this is what we were all about we've got recordings we've got demos you know and what about the what about the 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 tapes you know whether digital or analog have you got no access to the original recordings in any way it was it would have been all digital um and we ha- it's possible that we've got the demos uh as as separate files on somebody's hard drive but oh. but the 
the actual album recordings no we've got no access to it and we lost we lost the the mix engine it just disappeared oh dear 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 (laughs) but but tell us about the material did it have that that lovely eclecticism i mean i love your game begins with the lights out album it's so eclectic for me that one yeah were there elements of of that kind of variety in, in that early stuff yeah i mean you would listen to it and you would hear all the things we've been talking about you'd hear the beach boys um queen 10 cc elo all of those things i'd forget bit, bits of other genres as well uh, yeah moments of prog of country would you say well genius had proggy moments yeah but not country yeah. but the the more acoustic thing um is is a latter kind of uh, passion for me and the yes, yes. so the the, the singer songwriter sort of side of things wasn't happening at that point although some of those songs date back to then and before that ah, okay interesting. Um, but it, it wasn't represented in genius what was represented was a, a much more rocky thing um with proggy elements but in a pop kind of we still wanted it to be very hooky yes yes um and also uh we were um we had th- we did have the kind of quite a, a a range of sounds as well so it was you know we had one song that is a very much a a beach boys mid 60s ballad you know a 6 8 ballad uh, that um we didn't even hide it it was just a pure pastiche um, oh. so that's an example you know it, it was quite a broad range of things that we did um but the mo- most of the sound I, w- I would say was sort of a cross between if you took a kind of queen aesthetic with the guitar harmonies and big vocals but mm. you made it into a more um streamlined kind of rock um almost weezer type um oh, setting. yeah power pop maybe right yeah a kind of that sounds great a kind of quite heavy power pop yeah 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 fantastic yeah um, I'd, I'd love to hear um, more more about. Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned uh, your second album. Um, say the word. We've got to talk about that one. Um, I think it's a little masterpiece, to be honest. I love I love the progginess of it. I love the fact that it can't sit still for five seconds. There's always something interesting coming in. Tell us about the writing process with Graham and and how Kevin was brought on board. Yeah, Graham was. Um Graham surprised me because he said, you know, would you like to do some writing together? And I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went to his house um, and we um, we had a, uh, we had a, you know, had a good chat and talked about the kind of things we could do. And I think to start with, I didn't really know what we were writing for. Um, I think his idea was that it could be for for you know stuff that i was doing at the time working on the album um but i had i hadn't really thought that it was for me specifically and then i think in the next writing session he said something about oh well you can do it however you want it on the recording and i was like oh Mm. it's for me okay um wow but but when he said you know what would you like to what kind of things you want to start with i said well let's do something uh that that has the spirit of that very exploratory uh, te- um, 70s music, which takes you on a journey, mm-hmm. um, takes you on a real journey. And you and and it's not tied down to, you know, 
the tight pop structure and 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 uh but it will be hopefully is still a really fulfilling lesson musically yeah and um and and he said right okay he, and he said he's a very very positive chap um so he was straight in and you know we we just dug straight into it i had a i had the piano riff da 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 da, da, da and that kind of started us off every day's an opportunity to get it wrong in a fresh new so i came in with that idea just as as a as a potential thing and he, and even that had changed the minute he heard it he heard it slightly differently so it it you know evolved immediately um and then we set about putting putting this this sort of uh mini symphonic bit of rock together um and uh yeah i loved it um i th- i thought we had really nice ideas um i th- i think we it took us a while to find the shape we actually had a few writing sessions on it because it, it is quite a complex piece and and uh we needed to find just the right shape for it so that it had enough movement and wasn't too unsettling at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it, it's such a dynamic piece isn't it Ian? yeah i mean the, and, and you're you very very quickly into the, the the kind of church scene uh which kind of knocks you sideways you right think, what where did this one come from <laughs> I, I love it <laughs> yeah my dad's a minister so there's always okay th- oh, is that his voice then? no no well uh the voice is matt berry the the famous comedian in the beginning was the wonderland where man and woman wandered hand in hand and all was good and right oh my goodness uh, a right. comedy, comedy actor um yeah 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 and uh, musician as well and uh, he very kindly um lent his voice to that um my dad my dad's a minister and and um i of, i often find that little influences and uh references come out in my yeah. in my songs uh all the time uh but, but you know there's a real twist you know immediately in the beginning was and then i change it you know because it's because we're talking about saying the word but then i wanted to take it somewhere else but yeah it's very it sort of tells an adam and eve story and then it goes off on on its own tangent and but it's it's a fun little section and I suppose it's meant. I suppose it's saying, you don't know where this song's going to go, so don't get too settled in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, how how did Kevin come on board? And it, he almost, it kind of solves, in my mind, that solves the end of the song almost because it's such yeah. a high high point. It sort of it writes its own climax or something in the way he comes in. Yeah, well, that was how I viewed it musically. Was. Um, that that was the point at which things kind of not it, it it doesn't all come together there, but it certainly reaches a a peak there, um, mm. and then the final say the words at the end where that comes back in mm-hmm. is is the mm. summation of all of it. When we were writing, um, we came up with that section. And when I'm a fool, and I said to Graham, really, that's a Kevin part. 
Um, yes. And he was like, you know, he'd obviously clocked me saying that. He knew what I meant. Um, and uh, I was kind of probably singing it a bit like Kevin anyway. A couple of, I think maybe on the next session, he said to me, look, I'll talk to Kevin about singing that part. You know, would you be interested? I was like, yeah, fantastic. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we referred to that as the Kevin section for a while before we'd asked him. And uh, Brilliant. yeah, yeah. And so, like I say, he recorded remotely, but we were trying to do a session over video and it did, we couldn't get the tech mm. working. Um, so, so it ended up just phone calls and back and forth. He would send files and then I'd give him a call and we did it like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but he did it very quickly and, and um, he also gave me some other things that he, you know, in case I needed to use some other stuff. But it didn't particularly fit in with the track, so we just used him for that that one section. So it's very much a cameo, but it's the perfect voice for that moment, I think. And we've yeah. kind of we've got that wall of vocals behind it, and I wasn't I certainly wasn't doing I'm not in love in a, a conscious way, um, because you know, as you know I'm a Beach Boys fan. I'm, I'm uh, uh, all these bands that we're talking about. There's always a great uh, vocal element to it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I wanted this kind of it's essentially a cappella, but I think there's maybe a bass comes in at some point. But it's it's very it's very. Uh, um, light instrumentally and suddenly a big kind of choral arrangement and he just sounds great sitting on the top of that and uh, yeah like you said because he still sings fantastically well so he really does and and what a thrill to have it was a bit of a coup to get him yeah the the Kevin Godley on it you know fabulous I got the Kevin Godley singing the Kevin Godley bit yeah (laughs) yeah I'm not sure what he thought of the track the funny thing was he said to Graham when he heard it he said Oh, it's very complicated, isn't it? <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, I thought, have you listened to 10cc? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that in a way, because um, in terms of Graham, he's never really written recently. He's, none, he's never gone in that area before, has he? Except uh, and that was, that was my whole motivation yes. for, for doing it. Was, it was good. Working with you it gave him the remit to do that i mean i know he's he said he'll never record as 10cc again and i think that's a very wise decision it, whether he could or not i don't know but it may be he deliberately on his on his solo records recently has kind of kept away from anything like that so you really gave him a project there and al- almost yeah. kind of coerced him in a way if that's not I too strong to reopen the, the that door a little bit because he's got well partly because he's got a very quirky side to him um, mm. And as much as Godley and Cream are give, given all the uh, plaudits for the quirkiness in 10cc, it comes from all four quarters. Um, and uh, so I knew it was in there. And, and uh, I'd, I'd noticed that he doesn't really do that. But I don't think that's... I'd, I don't think it's through any conscious decision. Graham very much follows his muse and just uh, writes how he feels and... Um, I think, uh, you know, left to his own devices, he's he just loves pure songwriting, yes. m- probably more than anything. Um, yeah, and he's got infinitely inventive fingers, hasn't he? We, we, we've oh, just yeah. been 
um, in awe, really, of just how creative his his musicality, his chords. That's right, and he it never stops. Um, and that, that he actually surprised me, even though I was uh, expecting to be surprised by Graham musically. He really surprised me when we were working on "Say the Word," not just for his. The, the fact that he's still got so much love for it and and can always find new ways of doing things. Um, but also because he just wrote things that I would never have gone near. You know, I just couldn't have, couldn't have, they, I don't know where they came from. And I said, I would say to him, mm. where did that come from? And he'd say, I don't know. <laughs> His fingers just arrived there, you know. And so the transition into the first chorus of Say the Word where it goes to the speak the truth, tell me what to do. Suddenly, I, I was like, oh, because he came up with those chords. And I was like, where's that come from? It, it, it's such yeah. a change of um, yeah. uh, harmonically yeah. from where we've just been. And so uh, that's continued every time we've written together, that we're always finding little things that um, I, I always enjoy having moments of uh, just either watching him play guitar and finding things or just him suddenly arriving at something. And then he might not notice that he did it and then he'll carry on doing something else. And I'll say, no, go back, go back. Right, 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 yeah, right, right. That was a yeah. brilliant transition, you know. <laughs> was was the writing process similar for, for what you did with him on the Modesty Forbids album? Yes. And in fact, I would say, uh, if you know that track, Wake Up Dreamer, Yes. That that also has a bit of ten cc about it. In a, in a, yeah, when as soon as you get to that bridge, it's like oh we're we're tapping into the quirk the quirky element again. Yeah. yeah. Um. the water. There's a man with a dog and he sits with his rug by the water. And he knows if he waits that a fish will appear when it ought well, it's very 10cc, I think. Yeah. Um, so again, I think we were just we were just following where we wanted the song to go, and I'm always going to be the guy that's going to encourage Graham to go that way because it's such a glorious thing to do, and nobody does it. Wake up, dreamer. Wake up. Wake up, dreamer. Wake up. You know, absolutely. The only people that that would write like that now would be very much on the fringes of the kind of art pop, power pop movement. Yeah, you know? but Ben Folds type people who've got right. like um, quirkiness in their genes and 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 sure. melody, uh, you know, t- to die for. Can we ask you a cheeky question? Um, Paul and I both hear Graham's touch in. Uh, it's probably my favourite tune on on last year's album. You lost your faith. In- tracks i can't tell you yeah uh and that's got some lovely twists and turns uh in the particularly in the in the chord modulations yeah and 
I don't know. I, we can kind of hear Graham's well, it's a, it's a co-write. influence there. Is it definitely a co-write? co-write? Yeah, yeah. So I had no idea. Well, well you've, you've spotted it there. Yeah, had, who came up with those... Da, 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 you, know, you know the bit I mean? Those kind of... Um, the melody rises up and then it kind of uh, falls down. There's two sets of, like, four chords or something. Oh, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yes. That's, yeah, that's pure Graham. <laughs> it's pure pure graham yeah and that was one of the, that was one of those moments where he did it once and then i had to stop him and go wait what was that and 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 then it took us a while to actually find it again yeah and yeah, we yeah, yeah. but we always record our sessions so we actually yeah, yeah. we actually had we would have had it anyway you know if we couldn't have thought of it we would have gone back and rewound the tape yes. as it were um but uh, yeah uh that and that you've you've you're absolutely bang on there um and i can't imagine there's many people in the world that will have noticed that so <laughs> but that's <laughs> yeah, that but, is but a we're... pure graham moment and yes. and one which transforms that song from something which um it's is, a pretty is, song is, anyway is, is a, let's is face a, it it's a pretty song and after that uh, once we had the once we had the the structure of the music, then I went home and I wrote the entire lyric on my own. And I really wanted to just make it as good as the music. Cause I, mm. so it was, a, uh, I, that was my task as far as I was concerned was I've got to match the beauty of, 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 you know, what we created there because I, like I say, I, I liked what I'd, I'd come up with the initial kind of, it was actually during a say the word session. We were working on say the word. Ah, okay. Graham, so no, it was another Graham, bit. Graham took. Well, no. Graham took a phone call, and I just started playing something else, and <laughs> and I came up with the da 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 da. That the initial kind of refrain, which is sort of a little sondheimy or something. It's quite musical theatre. And then when Graham, when Graham joined in, he he came up with those passing chords, and I was like. Whoa! Okay, we're into a different area now because this is suddenly to me it was a very deep song, um, and and then we were off, you know. And uh, I think I've managed it. I think that I, you know, I was really chuffed with the lyric. Um, I wrote it. it I, I tried to write from the heart with that one. It's a good old-fashioned love song. Yes, absolutely. That's why I can't tell you. It sounds to me, and I'm not, it's not a criticism, it sounds like it was actually pitched as a movie song. It's got, I mean, you've got the words moat, guards and enchantment. It sounds like a, a cross nice. between Disney and Animal Olympics. And I yeah. wondered w- whether it had actually been written as a commission, but it sounds not, I guess. No. And if I had ever written a commission as good as that, I'd be really happy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've had the Disney comment before, and ah. and I've had the Sondheim comment, um, and I'm 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 down with all of it because I, there's you know well with 10CC as well there was there were theatrical elements in their writing, particularly from Godly and Cream, um, but I. I, I there's a lot of great music that came from shows and um 
you know, that many of the standards that we love um, obviously started out in shows. So I, I do have a love for that. Um, yeah. It's often the delivery that, that puts me off because sometimes people sing those things in a very hammy, oh, hammy kind of yes. fashion. But here, here. But in terms but of the um, writing, some of the greatest songs I've ever written are, are from musical theatre, I think. Yes, in- Including uh, one of Graham's favourites, Somewhere, you know, from West Side Story. You know, you can't really get a better song than that. No, absolutely. But it's interesting you the, the you talking about the directness of the the kind of open, open-heartedness of I Can't Tell You. I, I find the Fly Away Home album to be very open-hearted, yeah. uh, Ian. M- much more direct, much more intimate, yeah. would you say? Yeah, that's absolutely what I was going for, yeah. And and that ties in really with, I suppose, what we were talking about live performance as well. I'm going for a, I'm just trying to be honest and direct. Um, uh, and if I can do that musically, then hopefully it will connect with with others you know i can't tell you i'm in love the storm has come the seas are rough but i'll walk with you in the rain stand beside you facing your been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening